Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give these channels that we can uh, walk in to shape our lives and become more like you. I pray that as we talk about another one in fasting today, Lord, that you will use this message and you will use this discipline to shape us and mold us and make us holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 58, I'm going to read the first nine verses, so stay with me. Uh, Starting with verse 1, it says, Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways, like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgment. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, they say, but you have not seen? Why are we have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed? Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast, and you oppress all of your workers. You fast with contention and strife. You strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out a sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't the fast that I chose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is not... Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the poor and the homeless into your house to clothe the naked and when you see them and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn and on your head will come quick on, on your healing will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. 
So what's going on? What's going on? You have this poem, right? This poem, which is, which is a letter, or which is a, a, pro, a prophecy from Isaiah to the people of God. And what he's saying is the people of God, they have been fasting, but they've been fasting without life change. That while they fast for God to hear them, they are also oppressing their brothers and sisters, even striking their brothers and sisters. See, fasting appears in Isaiah 58 more than any other part of the Bible. And in this specific passage, God is rebuking the Jewish people because of they were fasting improperly. They were fasting as a religious ritual rather than fasting in a way that is seeking the Lord and seeking holiness. For them, fasting has become an empty show while they sin against God and neighbor. God has given them this spiritual discipline as a means of seeking him, but they have transformed it in a tool where they could garner praise for themselves and at best belittling their neighbor, but in all actuality, they're probably causing harm to their brothers and sisters. God is coming down, and he's coming down hard on his people. They are supposed to be set apart. We've seen the law in the Old Testament where God's people are supposed to live like him, and they are supposed to be better, better than the world around them, be a light to the world around them, be a blessing to the other cultures that surround them, yet they do not look any different. They look the same as those cultures, but they carry around this fasting as a nameplate but their lives are lived in rebellion at the same time. They're, where they're at at this point in Isaiah, God's people believe that God will be more proud and impressed with their fasting than he would be angry at their sin. God is never interested in spiritual activity if it doesn't come from a heart of sincerity. This is true for all of the disciplines that we've been talking about in this series. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care how much you search the scripture or practice communion or fast or pray or live in fellowship with other believers. None of that matters if it doesn't come from a place of pure worship, a genuine seeking of his holiness. Our good behavior will never balance the scales in our favor. It's true for all the disciplines, but the reason, the reason I bring it up specifically in this passage on fasting is because I have seen firsthand brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with a sin, a habitual sin, and they fall once again into that sin. And what they try to do with fasting is they try to make up for where they fell short. They fell short. Once again, they committed that one thing they keep trying to overcome. And so what they're going to do, since they did that bad thing, they're going to fast and make up for it. And God is not interested in that kind of religious behavior. He doesn't want us to see, he doesn't want us, to see us be good to, to, to outweigh our being bad. And another thing I've seen them do, I've, I've, I've seen this happen firsthand, is they use fasting as this form of like penance. Like, I, man, I screwed up again. I fell into sin once again. And fasting is really hard. It's hard on the body. It's not easy to do. It makes you tired. It makes you hungry. It's, it's not easy. So what they do is, is because they sinned, they fast as a way to punish themselves for falling short. God's not interested in fasting in either one of those ways. Fasting is not meant to make up for being bad, and fasting is not meant to punish us for, for doing bad things. That is not the purpose of fasting. 
That, what's going on here in Isaiah 58 is fasting is being performed as this means of spiritual wish, uh, ritual, right? It's an empty activity while neglecting God, the good of God and neighbor. It's, it's holy activity without holy life change. And God is rebuking them. He's calling them to a proper understanding and practice of fasting. See, fasting in Scripture is mentioned 77 different times in the Bible. There's examples of all kinds of different fasting. So many times people are like, how do I fast? In the Bible, we see partial fast. We see complete fast. We see national fast, congregational fast. We see that, that the Bible doesn't necessarily teach how long you should fast. We see 40-day 40 day, 40 day fasting, 21-day fasting, 7-day, 3-day, 1-day. The Bible doesn't specify how you should fast necessarily how long you should fast. But we see over and over again that people in Scripture fast. It's, a, it's in the Old Testament. Moses fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. We see King David. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, but King Jehoshaphat, he fasts. Joel, Jonah, Easter, all Old Testament people all fasted. Move to the New Testament. You've got Anna, who was a prophetess. She fasted and prophesied. Jesus fasted. The early church, before they sent Paul out on his missionary journey, they fasted. Paul himself fasted. Fasting is mentioned more times in Scripture than water baptism. Yet, we rarely talk about it in the church. There's one journalist who did some research and, and came to a place uh, where he realized that for almost 100 years, from 1861 to 1954, there were zero publications on fasting. No essays, no journal articles, no books, nothing written on the topic of fasting. Earlier than that, in the 1700s, John Wesley says that some have exalted fasting beyond all scripture and reason, while others have utterly disregarded it. Fasting is rarely talked about, it's rarely preached on or taught, and it's rarely practiced. But why is that? I, I want to speak specifically to, to us as a church in America, because in, in the church in the West, one of the reasons I believe that fasting is not talked about much is because we have a love affair with consumption, it's part of our culture. It's part of what the, if you watch TV or you read the news or you, you look at billboards, you walk down the street, everywhere, somebody is trying to get you to buy their product, do, come to their business, consume what they have for you. It's preached to us day in and day out, regardless of what, where you live or where you're going or what your, what your culture, where you're surrounded by. It, over and over again, our culture says consume. Consume, consume, consume. We've talked about it in the past with food. Our days and lives are, are, surround, are, are scheduled around food, right? I wake up in the morning, where's my breakfast? I go to work, when is my lunch break? After my lunch break, when do I get off and go eat dinner? At the beginning of the week, what are we going to have for dinners throughout the week? I have an app on my phone that tells the, the school lunches each week. There's not a day that goes by a little bit between snack time and dinner time where Addie Lee doesn't come up to me and ask what's for lunch tomorrow, right? She wants to know if she's going to eat lunch at school or if I'm going to fix her lunch for her because she needs to know what she, she's thinking about what she's going to be consuming tomorrow. I love food. I don't know if you could tell, okay? I love a steak. I love a pastry. I love food. 
And we are taught to consume, but it's not just food, it's stuff. I, I kind of talked to some of you about it this morning. I actually found out at work that they're giving everybody a bonus. Woohoo, more money, right? I go in, it's a slow day. And the, my manager calls me into his office. He's kind of explaining the different uh, evaluations and pay raises and things like that. And he says, and also, the company is giving everybody a bonus. And since I'm part time, I found out I'm getting a $500 bonus. I walk back to my uh, computer. It's a slow day, so there's no customers in there. The first thing I do is open up my phone and go to Amazon. I've got money coming in that I wasn't expecting, and the first thing I want to do is spend it, right? I want to get some, some multi-tools because I lost my multi-tools, so I'm start looking at multi-tools and reading reviews. There's some books that I'm wanting, so I'm start looking at these books. And I'm immediately, I find out that's, that the Lord has blessed me, that this is coming in, and I immediately use it to go and find something to consume. Well, the Lord taught me a lesson because... It was not a short time later that I had to pour all of that bonus and then some into vehicle maintenance. <laughs> Over $800 it cost me to get my car running this week, right? So the Lord, the Lord, praise him, provided a way for this to be taken care of. But what I should have thought immediately was, how can I save this? How can I bless somebody else? Instead, I thought about self. I know I'm your pastor, you're supposed to have my life together, but I'm just as addicted to consuming as all of us. If it's not food and not stuff, then it's information. The website Google has become a verb. Google it. I, I was reading a book called The Wager. It's about a shipwreck, and it was really interesting, and there's lots of fun facts in it. But then I found myself get on go getting on Google and going to Wikipedia and reading hours just on information that doesn't really matter, but because I wanted to know it. Right. So if we're not addicted to food, or stuff, it's information. Somewhere in our lives, we focus on the consumption of things. And what fasting does, fasting looks at that desire for overconsumption, and it calls us on it. It convicts us. It convicts us. It limits our flesh while strengthening our spirit. When we deprive that, over, that desire to consume, Something happens inside of us. Biblical fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for a limited period of time for the purpose of drawing near to God. Biblical fasting is not a Christian diet plan. If you Google fasting right now, most of your results are not going to be spiritual fasting, but dietary fasting, right? Intermediate fasting. And the truth is, you'll lose weight if you fast. It's going to happen. You're consuming less calories, all right? Fasting does help you lose weight, but biblical fasting is not a diet plan. It's not a holier-than-thou ritual that we do so people will see just how pure and holy we are. It's not meant to punish us and punish our flesh for, for sinning. Those are not the things that fasting is. And fasting is not required. A lot of people don't understand that. Nowhere in the Bible does it demand us to fast. There's no scripture that says you as a Christian should fast. And this is, this is actually a good thing because there are a lot of people who cannot fast. They can't give up food because of health reasons. Maybe there's a medication that requires them to eat, or maybe they're pregnant or diabetic. There's all kinds of reasons why people are unable to fast. So the good news is the Bible doesn't require it. 
Now, when we read scripture, while it doesn't require fasting, it does expect it. Matthew 9, Jesus is uh, with his disciples, and, the, and some people come to question him because fasting has been a practice throughout the church, right? Throughout God's people, they have always, throughout time, God's people has always fasted. The religious people fast, the, the people who are in the communities fast, and John, John the Baptist, his disciples, they fast. And so people come to Jesus and they say, your disciples aren't fasting. They don't fast like the rest of us. Why is that? It's like this accusatory question. And in Matthew 9, verse 15, Jesus says this. Can the wedding guest be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come where the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So fasting is this sense of mourning. It's this sense of repentance. That's why we fast during the season of Lent, because it's looking at the sin of our, in our lives, and it's this moment of where we see that our lives are broken. But Jesus' disciples, when Jesus is with them, how can they be sad? Their bridegroom is there. Their Savior, their King, their Messiah is walking with them. We're not called to fast when Jesus is with us. And there will be a day when Jesus, our King and our Savior, returns to this world, bringing the new earth and new heaven and then there will be no more mourning there will be no more tears and there will be no more fasting because our savior will be here with us but he says that there will be a time when his disciples will fast again because jesus will die he will raise from the dead and then he will ascend into heaven and at that point when he ascends into heaven his disciples will begin to fast again it is expected and it is also rewarded. Matthew 6 verses 16 and 18 says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their, their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That's like putting gel in your hair and taking a shower. Okay. Be clean. Don't look, don't look pitiful so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Notice it says, when you fast, not if you fast. That's that expectation, right? It's expected that the the people that follow Jesus will fast. And then it says that they will be rewarded. That the father will see them fasting in secret, and he will reward them. So fasting is not required. It's not demanded. But it is expected, and it is rewarded. And part of that rewarding, there's five rewards or five benefits that were first pointed out to me by uh, Gary Hamrick. So I want to give him credit, okay, because that's the, the, where these five points come from. I didn't come up with them, all right? But he kind of lays out five benefits or five rewards for fasting. And that's where we're going to go with our message today. Now, I know I've been talking for like 10 minutes already. We're over halfway through. We're, we're getting to the meat of it here, okay? But, but there's five rewards, five benefits that come from fasting, the first one we see in our passage today, Isaiah 58, 6, it says that, isn't this the fast I choose? So God has rebuked them for fasting improperly, improperly, and then he lays out what true fasting will result in. Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness. Fasting will break chains. To unite the rope, to untie the ropes of the yoke. Sin is a yoke. It is a burden that seems to control us. And fasting can untie those ropes. To set the oppressed free and to tear off every 
yoke. Not only does it untie the ropes, but it removes the yoke of sin from us. Breaking chains, untying ropes, and removing the yoke, sitting the oppressed free. That's what true, proper fasting can do for us. The first thing that fasting, the first benefit, is a freeing benefit. There are sin strongholds in our lives, sins that take us captive, patterns and habits and addictions that seem to bind us that we can't break free from. These chains, they're, 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 these sins, they're chains around our ankles and ropes around our wrists. They seem to control our every desire and our every thought. They seem to have all power over us. But this text is teaching us that through fasting, that our God, who is a chain breaker, can break those chains. Listen, we've talked about this early on. We are called to live holy lives. And part of that is, is having the power over sin. But that does not mean that temptations will ever go away. A holy life, yes, is a life free from the power of sin. But until the day of our Savior and King Jesus return, temptation will always be a reality. Fasting bolsters up our spirit. It makes our spirit more dominant than our flesh. It's not that the temptation goes away. The temptation is there. But through fasting, our spirit is is now strengthened to stand up to the tempest of the accuser. The storm that the devil brings upon our life, trying to cause us to fall into sin, will not stand up to our spirit. Our spirit is stronger because of our fasting. And, and when I was playing football, we would do different types of exercising and weightlifting to build strength. And one of the things we did was resistance training, right? It was the resistance that strengthened the muscle. And when we fast, we resist desires of the flesh. We resist the, the consumption of food. And we, that resistance, while it may make our, wet, our flesh feel weaker, it, it builds up our spirit and allows us to withstand the temptations and the scheming of the devil, So the first thing, the first thing that fasting will do for us is it will break the chains of our strong, of the sin strongholds in our life. Our God is a chain breaking God. He looks at the struggles. He knows the things that keep raising their head on you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the difficulty that you face. And through fasting, we position ourselves so that God, the chain breaking God that we love and serve, Jesus who died to defeat sin, will be active through his spirit in our lives. The second thing we see in our passage is healing. There's a freeing benefit and there's a healing benefit. Verse eight says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up rapidly. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your reared guard. Now, what kind of healing are we talking about? This is a prophecy to a nation. So so God is saying to the nation of Israel that there is healing in fasting. Proper fasting can heal a nation. How often have we thought that our nation needs to be healed? Fasting has that power. And it's not just national level. This is a group concept. That's why I love to see churches when they do a fast together or a religious organization, they do a fast and they pray together because God is a God that heals on a corporate level because uh, he is a healing God. But it's not just this group, not just this overarching national corporate type of healing. Yes, that happens. 
But there's also an individual side to it. The word that's actually used here for healer is, is an individualistic word. It's a word that is meant for bandages in surgery. So you think about an individual who's had something removed or, or a wound been stitched up. They have these special surgical bandages that is used on that individual. So Isaiah does something really fascinating here. He takes an individual healing word, but he applies it to a nation. So he's saying that our God is a God who heals nations and he heals individuals. He cares about the big and he cares about the small. He cares about the, the group and he cares about the individual. We all have access to a God who heals and he cares. He cares about the family relationships. He cares about the group, but he also cares about you and he cares about the things you're going through. He cares about the things that seem to be gripple, crippling you, the mental healing that you need, the physical healing that you need, the emotional healing that you need. Maybe it's spiritual where the need does not matter. Our God is a healing God. And when we fast, we arrive at a place where we're open and ready for God to heal in his way and his time. Do you struggle with fear or anxiety? Do you struggle with self-doubt or self-loathing? You were never created to hate yourself. Try fasting. Do you struggle with pride and arrogance? Try fasting. Psalm 35 David is talking about his enemies, right? These are, these are warriors. They're coming at David to kill him and his people. They're, they're the bad guys. And David's talking about how his enemies oppress him, but then they fall sick. And David says in verse 13, he declares that when they are sick, he says, I humble myself with fasting. He feels the pride. His enemies are sick, but then he, he fights his pride by fasting and humbles himself to pray for his enemy. Loving our enemies is something we talk about in the church all the time. All the time we talk about loving our enemies and it sounds really poetic and nice, but the truth is we're really bad at it. I have a hard time loving my boss when he doesn't do something I think he should do, let alone my coworkers who have no authority over me, but they get on my nerves sometimes. We have trouble loving a sibling let alone our enemy, someone who is against us, trying to harm us and the people we love. And David's at that place where this enemy is rising their hand against him and they fall sick and he fights his pride through fasting to humble himself so he can pray for them. Fasting heals. There's a dad who, whose son is possessed by a demon and he's done everything he could think of and he can't find freedom for the son. So he hears about this Messiah, this Jesus guy. So he takes his son to Jesus and his followers, but Jesus isn't there. He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he takes him to, to Jesus' disciples who have had plenty of practice and are great at, at uh, delivering people from demon possession at this point. They've had tons of success. And they take the, 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 he takes the boy to the disciples and they try everything. They try the different prayers, the anointing with oil. They're doing everything they can, but they cannot find success. They are ultimately defeated. The boy is not delivered. He is not healed. Jesus hears this commotion. So he, he comes down to figure out what's going on. He finds out the story and he prays over and delivers the boy. He heals the boy. Later on, we see the disciples ask Jesus why they were unsuccessful, why they couldn't complete it. And Jesus' response, this kind of thing only happens through prayer and fasting. Fasting has the power to heal. 
The third thing we see that fasting does is it strengthens us. It strengthens us. The Puritans have this word that I absolutely love and will probably refer to from now on. They called fasting the fattening of the soul. <laughs> the fattening of the soul. So, so I used to be an FFA. And uh, yeah, I had a I had a whole redneck phase. Okay, cowboy hat, cowboy hat, belt buckle, camouflage hat with the fish hook, tucked in shirt with the jeans, and I mean it was a thing. All right, and in that time I was in FFA, which required us to be a part of the agriculture class. And so one of the things I didn't actually raise a pig, but I had several friends that did. And so when you're raising a pig, part of the thing you have to do. <laughs> is fatten the pig, right? So there's certain foods that you give it. There's certain times you feed it. There's certain things you do. All these things help to fatten the pig. And what that does is it helps the meat improve and it gives you more of it. So you kind of, you get the choice meat and you get more of that meat by fattening up the pig, right? You think about the prodigal son. When he returns, the dad says, go get the fattened calf. So the thing that is fattened is, I'm not talking about obesity and overweight, okay? I'm talking about the thing that has been built up and is now the choice prime example of what it is. It is, it is at the best that it could possibly be. And when we fast, that's what we're doing. We're making our soul, we're strengthening our soul to be the best it possibly can. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights after his baptism. And at the end of that fast, the spirit leads him into the wilderness where the tempter tries to tempt him. After 40 days. So he's at the end of his fast. He hasn't had anything to eat for 40 days. Imagine how he feels. When we fast, it weakens the body. We, we become uh, tired, low energy, you get brain fog where you like can't really wrap your mind or talk around things. Jesus is at his weakest point in this fast. And the first thing the devil does is try to tempt him with food. He tries to get Jesus to take the power for himself and turn the rock to bread. When he is at his weakest, that's when the devil attacks. And if you've ever been tempted, you know the same is true for us. It's at the end of a long week. It's at the end of a stressful day where that same temptation that seems to rear its ugly head, where the, where the toothless lion rears its ugly head, the tempter seems to show up at that moment when we are the most tired. It's at that moment where we decide to blow the fuse and overreact at the kid's behavior. It's after yet another fight with your parents where you decide to self-medicate. It's at the end of the long day where that website starts calling your name again. Three times when Jesus is at his physical weakest, he is tempted. And three times, Jesus resists. See, on the outside, it seems like Jesus is at his weakest. But the truth is, it's at that point, at the end of his fast, where his body may be physically weak, but his soul, his soul and his spirit is like Barry Bonds when he broke Hank Aaron's home run record, all right? It's jacked up on steroids, all right? It's a joke, okay? It's without all the side effects, all right? His soul, his spirit is ready for the battle. It's been strengthened and built up. Jesus is not at his weakest because he's not at the end of a hard day. His body is weak because he intentionally has fasted and sought the Father. And in doing that, he has built up his soul and is now strong enough to face the schemes and the arrows of the devil. Fasting strengthens our soul. Number four, it helps us. 
We're running out of time, so I want to summarize what's going on in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. God's people are being attacked. They're backed into a corner, there's no way out, and they're fearing of their life. The enemy is coming, and there will be no survivors. And King Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do, so he calls the nation to a fast. And while the nation is fasting and praying, God raises up a guy whose name is Jael, maybe? J-E-I-E-L, okay, Jael. And, and so this person raises up and has this prophecy for God's people in Second Chronicles 20:15. He says this, Listen, all Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Listen to me, all of you who have been fasting, all of you who have been seeking the Lord, all of you whose back is against the wall, you're backed into a corner and it seems like there's no way out and you need help. Listen to me. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at the great horde for, before you. For the battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> we sing it in songs. We talk about it in groups. The battle belongs to the Lord. But many of us don't know where that comes from. It's right here in Chronicles, where God's people are backed against the wall. Defeat is absolutely certain. They don't know what they're going to do. There's no way out. But what they do is they listen and they obey and they seek God through fasting. And the battle who belong, the battle belongs to the Lord who hears them and God delivers them victoriously. Where does your life feel trapped? Where does you feel hopeless? Where do you feel like there's no way out? Fast. Are you in trouble and in need of the Lord's help? Fast. Is your marriage in trouble? Fast. Does your calling feel impossible? Fast. Are your kids in trouble? Fast. Our help comes from the Lord. Psalm, one, Psalm 121, lift up your eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our help comes from the Lord. The battle belongs to him. And lastly, discerning. Fasting brings a discerning benefit. We see in Acts 13, the church is, is praying about figuring out what's next for them. They're in Antioch, and there's a bunch of prophets and teachers that kind of gathered together. And in verse 2, we see that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit gave them direction, gave them discernment, said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They needed direction for where they were, their next steps were to be. And through fasting, God gave them discernment. We are constantly facing one decision after another. Big decisions. Life-altering decisions. And these decisions, in them, we constantly need wisdom from above. Should you, should you change jobs? Change majors? Date this person? Dump that person? Could God be calling you to missions? Is there a decision in your life that you're trying to figure out what to do next and navigate? Fasting brings clarity and direction. Do you need discernment? Fast.
That's the calling. We've got freeing, healing, strengthening, helping, and discerning benefits all come through fasting. You have the discretion of the time frame. I know a man who fasted until his son and daughter became pregnant, and it was a really long time on nothing but liquids. I heard a story of a guy who, who had some health issues, but his marriage was on the rock, so he decided to do a 40-day fast. He met with his doctor and his pastor once a week during that, during that fast. I personally, I fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays from waking up until three. Dinner time is kind of a sacred time at our house. We, we don't always do it, okay, so don't get the wrong picture, but we try to make dinner a family time where we talk about the day and it's set apart intentionally for us. We, it's a sacred time. So I'm not going to fast during that time, but I'll fast until 3 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You get to set the perimeters, prioritize food. I've heard people who fast social media. It's a good idea. You should probably do that because we're all a little too addicted to our screens. But this concept of strengthening our soul and depriving our body works best around food. It can include coffee or chocolate or Coke. I know Lent starts on Valentine's Day, so if you're planning on giving up chocolate, think about that, okay? Just saying. But there, so, so those things, you can do that, all right? There is, a, there is an aspect of a body craving those things, and every time you crave them, let that draw you closer to the Lord. But, but prioritize food. You could do it for a meal, fast lunch one day a week, or you could do it for however long you want, but that's the case there. So there's some housekeeping things. And couple it with other means of grace that we've talked about, with prayer, with searching the scriptures, with fellowshipping with other believers. Couple it with those things and be discreet about it. If you need God to move in any of these ways, I challenge you, add fasting to your routines, even if it's one meal a week. And see how God transforms your life. Let's pray.